cloud or okay there you go. cool today i have with me in the studio my awesome friend dr rick brinkman who is a motivational speaker is best known for the book dealing with people you can't stand a very fascinating book about dealing with difficult people dr rick welcome to the interview hey, it's a pleasure to be here with you phil it always is always a pleasure so uh, let's talk about how you started this journey as a conscious communicator well my training is a naturopathic physician which is a holistic medical degree uh licensed in 25 states and uh when i was a senior i met a medical doctor who was head of OBGYN at a major hospital here in portland and he uh, had changed his practice from surgery to counseling. And he told us, not that I'm schizophrenic, I have multiple personalities, but myself and my co future co-author, uh, Dr. Rick Hirschner, uh, he was also a, a naturopathic physician one year behind me. He said that the symptom is a metaphor for whatever's going on. And if somebody has uterine bleeding, you should ask him, if those were teardrops, what do you think you'd be crying about? <laughs> so that was like, and then he had a book list and on the book list were uh, something we never heard of before called NLP, neuro linguistic programming. Uh, this is back in 19, um, about 79. So that was just getting off the ground. I think there were about maybe five NLP books at that time. Uh, we read those books. We started doing that stuff with our patients then uh, we did a bunch of workshops with Bandler and Grinder, including a 21-day residential training where you lived down in Santa Cruz 21 days and you did NLP for nine hours a day. And in between your breaks, there was a two-hour break and you had an assignment to go out in the world and do something, you know. And so that kind of, that really led us to transform our practice and suddenly it was all mind-body medicine as it now would be called. And uh, then we started teaching seminars in it called The Magical Nature of Communication. And uh, those got really popular and we ended up having three of them, Magic One, Magic Two, Magic Three. And uh, that led us to, into our speaking and training and realized we were in medical school. And so we were being bored out of our mind. You know, it's so didactic and so many <laughs> facts and da, 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 da. And we didn't want to do that to anybody. So uh, we, he and I really, we liked Saturday Night Live and we decided we'd be the Saturday Night Live of training. Mm. And so we would, uh, you know, realize our seminars were a couple of days, at least like a whole weekend, nine hour. And we had a costume trunk and we would do characters. And, uh, you know, there was uh, Bert the cab driver from New York, the last English speaking cab driver in New York. I'm going to tell you now, you can't just say, take me to the river because we got two rivers. You can't say, take me to stadium, but stadium, we got stadiums everywhere. So he would, uh, I would do an hour and a half in character teaching a uh, questioning technique. And then we would do other skits and, uh, well, that one thing led to another in 4,000 programs, 18 countries. You know? Gosh, wow. And, the, and that book first was a, a tape. It was called uh, How to Deal with Difficult People. It was an audio tape. And, um, and it became, uh, it was released in 1987. And by 1989, it was Columbia House's all-time best-selling uh, audio tape that was not music. <laughs> yeah and then that led to the book with uh mcgraw hill and uh so forth so that's wow. kind of 
in a nutshell. <laughs> what a journey, Doc. So this versus this. I mean, people have always got these questions about which one is the newest one, the latest one. Is uh, well, the one with the red is the uh, newest one. Uh, what we it is third edition. You've got probably that's a first edition there that you have. Okay. Although the second printing because it already had an international bestseller. But uh, here, excuse me. Come on. Yeah. This is Mr. Neelix for the folks at home. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I'm Neelix. All right. So um, <laughs> uh, we added in in that last edition, the third one, we added um, three behaviors from the Dealing with Relatives book. You know, we, when we studied relatives specifically, uh, we interviewed hundreds of people about their issues and what are their solutions and how they handle it. And there were eight behaviors that we really identified, some of which had a corollary, like uh, there's the tank in difficult people who somebody, a bully, they run right over you. Uh, so there was the general, you know, the person's almost in charge of the family. You're doing this, you're doing that, you're, you're washing the dishes, right? But then there were three behaviors that stood on their own and that was the martyr, the meddler and the judge. Oh dear. And so uh, we ended up in that third edition adding that to the- Wow. The only people you can't stand because that you can get martyrs and meddlers and judges also in the work environment. And <laughs> a needy giver. These <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. just crack me up. Oh my goodness. So entertaining. And for those who, of course, haven't heard my stroke, how I met you, I met you because one of my clients was so obsessed with the book and I got to get training on this. So uh -huh. that's when I ended up reaching out to you and finding out that there were different versions. Yeah. And Let's leave this for a quick second, Doc, because I really want to get in this book that a lot of people might not have seen. Yeah. This is priceless for project managers in my world. This, that's the latest. Yeah, I, uh, I started applying all these principles to meetings when I got on the board of the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. And they were, oh, everybody was at each other's throats, you know, all this conflict and, and such. This is 1994. Mm. And uh, so I basically did a, and at the time I was also doing In Search of Excellence seminars authorized by the Tom Peters group. Oh. So I, that evolved into doing some TQM, Total Quality Management Seminar. Oh. And so I, I applied that kind of excellence TQM process uh, of, figure out how it works. And uh, in fact, that was a um, kind of a thing from NLP. You know, he, I remember that one of our teachers said, you don't want to fix him. You want to find out how does it work? Mm. Everything works perfectly. Maybe working perfectly to get the result you really don't want, but it is working <laughs> like clockwork. So figure it out. So I interviewed everybody as to how they got in conflict. And I saw some very obvious patterns, you know, like you and I have a phone call and we both walk away thinking, oh, I'm the one who's going to tell those people. And you think you're the one who's going to tell those people. And then you tell them and I go, what? how can you tell them? I thought I was telling them. I didn't tell you, right? Like that's, it's just all this BS. And so, it, you know, it got down to, or how do you end the phone call? Here's the five questions you and I must answer before we hang up. Who's talking to whom? When are they doing it? Da, 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 da. A lot of simple stuff. Flow charts related mm. to communication and interaction as a board. Then in, in the meeting context, 
one thing that's obvious in everybody's experience. Some people are going to talk too much and other people are not going to talk at all. But I like to think of this like, you know, you have two eyes that see from two different points of view, right? Mm -hmm. Your right eye and left eye. Uh, imagine them arguing whose point of view is correct. Well, that's absurd. They're both correct. They're both slightly different. And when your brain synthesizes those points of view, you see three dimensions. Same thing with your ears. Your, uh, your brain tracks the difference in milliseconds of, of a, a sound so you know where it's, it's coming from. So the trick is if, if some people drop out like that, you've already lost the hologram. And if some people are dominating, well, so really there needs to be a speaking order. I mean, in every uh, meeting. And uh, I remember at one point, um, we, you know, voluntary can be something like you raise a finger or something. But I noticed our president at the time, okay, so I have Mary and then Nan, and then it'll be Bob. Okay, go ahead, go ahead, Mary. And that, that, and somebody else. Okay, now I have, and he would read it off in like, there was a cue that he had. And I noticed this kind of relaxation that came over the room. It wasn't like somebody's waiting for somebody to stop and breathe so I could jump into that <laughs> yes. space, right? And I thought, well, you know what, it'd be even better. Let's put it on a whiteboard. Let's get a whiteboard in here. And so we'd have a, a cue. So you just, all you have to do is go like this and you're on the whiteboard. So that's uh, that was one major transformation. Uh, and of course, uh, another way to do it is just have a, a circular order and just go around the room. You know, if you don't have too many people, I think that that's really my favorite. It really ensures that you're going to uh, hear from your passive people. You know, I remember once when I was in the UK doing teaching this. It was called Meeting Magic at the time. And so I broke people up into uh, smaller teams of maybe about seven people. And we had like, you know, at least 10 teams and they had an assignment, right, to simulate a meeting. And uh, back in the feedback, when everybody came back, one person stood up and she said, you know what, it was interesting to me because we had a cue. I'm usually the one who jumps in and speaks first. And, uh, but we got a cue, so I couldn't. And she was with her actual team members. And she said, I didn't realize how like-minded we are or how thoughtful they are because I always speak first. Mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, so that's one huge thing. I mean, there's three things I think you need to put at a, a meeting that solve all the problems. Uh, one of them is you gotta have a speaking order. Uh, the second thing is you uh, need to do flight recording. And what that means is you, you, you've got to make what people say visual, right? Mm. Uh, see, an auditory communication only exists the moment you say it. And then phew, where did it go? And I'm sure that uh, your folks have experienced how people will repeat themselves in a meeting. Yeah. Ever somebody repeat themselves in a meeting? You ever repeat themselves in a meeting? Well, People repeat themselves because it's like an idiot light on your dashboard going, I'm not sure you got it. I'm not sure you got it. You have no clear indication people, people need feedback from you. They need to know the eagle has landed. Okay, so, so if you flight record, and it's as simple as a PowerPoint slide, all right? And you bullet summary, whatever people say. And once you have things visual, the power of visual over auditory is it remains over time. So one minute later, what you said is still there. Five minutes later, it's still there. And even better, you also accumulate multiple thoughts. So somebody adds one piece of the puzzle, another piece of the puzzle. This is what I call holographic thinking, where you get everybody's got a piece of this puzzle. And the trick is to get it all out and see it all. And you save so much time when you have flight recording because people don't repeat themselves. Mm. And other people 
when it's their turn to speak, they say, yes, I agree with what Phil said about blah, blah, blah. And I think we should also, so they might acknowledge agreement, but they're not going to restate the whole, the spiel again. So that saves you a ton of time. So you got flight recording, you got uh, uh, some kind of speaking order. And then I, you need to have uh, a point of focus. What's the topic on the floor right now? And how are we talking about it? Are we in a brainstorm or are we looking at the pros now and the cons? You wouldn't look at pros and cons at the same time. Those are usually a pair, but you got to separate them out. Um, and so how I like to do that, again, let's go back to our PowerPoint slide. And you know, you have that title area. So I would put in the title, the topic is this, and the process right now is that, brainstorm, okay? So now that everybody knows what we're talking about, they know how we're talking about it, brainstorming, matching, mismatching, whatever, and boom, flight recording. And I find if you just do one of those things, it's a transformation. When you put all three, it's amazing how, how effective a meeting can be, such a higher level of quality, and like in half the time. Absolutely. Does Do any of those methods, Doc, inherently take care of the, I don't know, snipers, tanks yes. do they make appearances in these meetings and yeah let's let's maybe we should show a, a a lens of understanding here would that be all right yeah let's okay. do it let me see here are you seeing my uh lens there i see it okay so our lens of understanding now a really important distinction to make is that this is not personality typing if you think personality you're going to inadvertently uh, lead yourself astray. You know, personality is what it is, but really a person's so-called personality is a sum total of all their behaviors in all relationships and all contexts. And how people act is based on context, where are we, what's going on, and relationship, who are we with? You could know somebody at work who seems to be a bully, they're pushy, they're aggressive. You wouldn't believe what a wimp they can be in a different context, or maybe in a different relationship that you never get to get to see so it's not personality type it's behavior and we've got this cooperation zone and in this zone we have four basic intents we want to get things done get things done right get along with people and get appreciated by people so if you want to get things done what's going to happen is you're going to focus on the task at hand because that's what you're getting done and you're going to be more assertive because you're going to push forward and make it happen if you're if, if your primary uh thing at that moment is to get it right though you're still going to be focused on task but now you got to slow it down to make sure the details get covered if you're in a get along mode uh then you're going to be very people oriented and uh you're going to be a bit more passive you know i mean this hey you can see this when people go to lunch you want to go to lunch sure. where would you like to go i don't know where would you like to go i don't know are you hungry i don't know are you do we not know if we're hungry? We can figure this out. But what we're doing is make our own needs secondary to please other people. That's part of getting along less assertive. It's important to get appreciated by people. If you want to be appreciated by people, well, that's who you focus on. But in that case, you get a little more assertive because what goes hand in hand is contribution. Ooh, ooh. Hey, you ever gone to space lunch? You haven't? Everybody, up, oh, let's go now. So depending on context, where we are, what's going on, depending on relationship, who we're with, one of these becomes more important than the others. They're all in us all the time. It just certain ones become more important depending on context and relationship. So if we want to get it done and it's not happening, we're going to get more controlling because we can. All right, people, let's do this. You're on the phone. You're talking to the client. 
control because then it happens. If I need to get it right, and I feel like people are, I don't know, it's about 50, I think, about you think, then I'm going into perfection, into those details no one else is paying attention to. If I want to get along, I'm not sure it's happening. I go into approval, do things to make sure everything's okay between us. And if I want to be appreciated, I go into attention. Now, the yellow zone, uh, it's, we call it caution, but it's not necessarily a problem. And sometimes it's a solution. Somebody takes charge, it moves us forward. Somebody makes sure everything is uh, right, every right detail. But if people get too stressed out, that's where you get these what we call red zone behaviors. So tank behavior, this is when people run right over you, you know, it's their way or the highway, it's just make it happen yesterday. Uh, sniping is a kind of covert control. Yeah, I got a great idea. Let's play horse. I'll be the head. You just be yourself. Ooh, don't get all emotional. Can't you take a joke? could be to the face, it could be behind the back. The sniper's not getting mad, they're getting even. Gossip, malicious gossip, same category. It's a, a more of a covert control. What you also get out of the control zone is know-it-all behavior, that's right. I know 99% of everything and I'm happy to tell you how much I know. Dominate meetings go on and on and on, but I'm not gonna listen to your clearly inferior ideas. Now, if we compare tank behavior to know-it-all behavior, we find, you know, in our lens, okay, the, the uh, x-axis is assertiveness level and the y-axis is uh, uh, where your uh, attention is, task to people. If you compare uh, the assertiveness level with a tank and know-it-all, we find that the know-it-all is not as task-focused as somebody who's being a tank. Somebody who's being a tank is not going to waste a minute to impress us. They couldn't give a bleep what we think or feel. They just want to disrupt space time and make it happen yesterday. But when people go know it all in your presence, oh, then they're going to waste a lot of time telling you how much they know, pontificating. And that reminds me of this study. So uh, it's not quite as, uh, as task focused in that regard. Uh, going into uh, get it right. Now, imagine this. I. I care about perfection, right? I could see what could be. I look at what is, what is not measure up to what could be. And then I feel helpless to do anything about it. That's how whining starts. <laughs> now, when people whine, they have radar. It sounds like this, boop, boop. Oh, there's a problem. Pick it up, put it in my bag. Oh, there's another one. Put it in the bag, in the bag. It's so heavy, I can't take it. So I come to you here. <laughs> fine. When people are whining, they're feeling helpless. They're feeling the victim. Other people don't do that. Instead, they get hopeless. And that's how you get no behavior, negativity. Forget it. We tried it. Nothing ever changes. Every silver cloud has a dark lining. <laughs> you try to suggest an idea to them. They say, pull. Boom, got that idea. <laughs> Negativity is like, uh, has all the arrogance of a know-it-all seduced by the dark side of the force. <laughs> and then what you also get could be nothing. Fine, do it your way. Don't come crying to me when it doesn't work out. And from that point on, now you also get nothing out of that get along area of the lens. Cause let's face it, if you don't have something nice to say, <laughs> I wouldn't want you to be mad at me. So I say, Nothing. Uh, what you also get is yes behavior. Okay. Yeah. I'm real agreeable. Oh yeah, sure. Okay. You need it on Friday. Okay. Somebody else comes to my desk. Oh, you want it on Thursday? Okay. Oh, you need me at that. Okay. 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 And then, oops, I'm totally overcommitted. Things don't get done. 
because in that moment when I'm going, okay, okay, uh, here's the thing. People can only pay attention to seven plus or minus two things at any one time consciously. This uh, research was done in the mid fifties called the magic number seven. Mm-hmm. So there, you can only hold so much in your consciousness. So when I'm face to face with somebody, if I'm in that get along approval area, I want to please them. And what I'm not doing is task calculations. I'm not estimating how long it's going to take. I'm not realizing what else I have going on in my schedule. So it's very easy to make commitments and not keep them. If a decision needs to be made, then you get maybe behavior. You know, I'll think about it. Ask me later. Maybe. And that's my final decision. I mean, when everybody's told a salesperson, I'll think about it. Were you really going to think about it? No, <laughs> approval or the behavior. Shifting mental gears, the need for attention grows. Then you get, nobody cares in the front world today. It's the government's fault. <laughs> and that's more of the grenade. It's, it's a tantrum. The difference between tank and grenade, tank should be in jail. Grenade needs to be institutionalized. <laughs> Actually, a difference is a level of intent. A tank means to do it. A tank will take aim, but they will leave other useful people in a quick standing. <laughs> Grenade tends to blow up at 360 degrees, and all of a sudden you hear all this stuff that has nothing to do with the present circumstances, <laughs> because everything they've suppressed suddenly comes out. Mm. Tank attack is a demand for action. Grenade tantrum is a demand for attention. What you also get out of attention is another kind of sniper. This is friendly fire. People who like you, so they say, I never forget a face, Phil, but in your case, <laughs> I'll make an exception. <laughs> So uh, that's friendly sniping and, and there's no ill intent there. You know, it's that friendly teasing between friends, but not everybody takes it mm. the same. So it could be misunderstood. And then you also get think they know it all behavior. That's right. I'm an expert. And I believe it too, because when I speak <laughs> words, come out my mouth, come back in both my ears. I think this must be true. This is where you get one upsmanship. You know, if you, you, you were sick, they were sicker. If you had a great vacation, they want to tell you about their great vacation. If you had a big inauguration, they had a bigger inauguration. That's that's all classic. Think they know it all behavior. And then what you get, uh, we don't see them on this lens, but the judge, the martyr, and the meddler. Okay, the judge is also in that um, perfection zone. You know, they're looking at all the details and judging you that you're not. Uh, living up to their expectations uh the martyr uh you get at the bottom of the lens where attention meets approval okay they really they want your approval but they're not feeling getting it it's then they go oh poor me nobody cares about me <laughs> and then the meddler you get at the top of the lens where perfection meets uh control uh because uh with the meddler what's happening they start they judge you that you're not doing things right and then they become the tank and take over mm. and do it for you so that's that's where meddling uh, fits in so going back to your original question here about how this you know works in meetings yeah. well first of all uh things are you can always tell who would have been the tank because they're the one with if you run it like i'm talking about with a, a cue and flight recording and topic process there's there's no tangents because we're mm. always on track uh it's short and sweet. There's no repetitions because people see what they say has been put up there. And so the, the tank is happier to pig and you know what, they're the one with the grin in their face, you know, and, oh, I love this meeting. Uh, you know, you're not going to get on a cue, right? When it's your turn to speak and make some kind of sarcastic comment, that would be kind of totally stupid. And if you did it once, it would never happen again. So that takes care of them. Uh, know it all. Okay. One thing we want to add, there's always got to be a time limit, uh, to speak, right. You know, whatever is appropriate for your group. I just worked with a, a, a group and 
uh, nonprofit and looking at their bylaws, I saw what they had is you have two minutes and two seconds at any one point to speak at the meeting. That's what they have, two minutes and, and two seconds. So if you have those time limits, people really uh, make their point. Um, and, uh, and then they, anyway, that controls your know-it-all because they're the ones who go on and on and on. And then, you know, think they know it all gets controlled because they speak in broad generalizations, but you can't put a generalization on a flip chart. It, it makes no sense. Uh, the grenade, you know, the person who needs attention, uh, they're going to get attention because everybody's really like listening to each other when mm -hmm. they're talking because they're not listening for breathing changes. They're relaxed. They know their turn is coming in three people. So they're actually listening. Right. So that takes care of everybody in the attention zone. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when with the whining negativity perfection, again, every detail gets covered. You know, you really get a complete picture. So that satisfies people who want to get it right. And then last but not least, you know, uh, it it makes it safe for your approval people to come out and play because no assertive <laughs> behavior is over dominating. And it's all of us together doing the same thing, getting along, discussing this issue, everybody adding their, their point of view. I found that um, that process and the Again, three pillars of that process is uh, a speaking order with time frame, uh, topic and process. So we always know what we're talking about and how, and then flight recording. It, it nips every, everything in the bud. People can't even go in the red zone. I love it. I love it, dog. I love it. I got a question about this meetings and communications. Based on your experience, you've done thousands of these things. What is the most challenging communication skill if any, in your opinion, is, is it fair to say there's a most challenging communication scale or what are some of the more challenging communication skills in your experience, if any? Well, when you say that, I, what I think of is that for some people, the challenge might be different. Mm. Like if somebody's more tanky and controlling, the ability to be patient and ah. let people, let it evolve instead of just trying to get to a the bottom line and then for somebody over in the approval it's not it's it's for them to speak up and really yeah. say what they think and be willing to put themselves out there so i think that it really uh varies but again i find that with those three things in place uh in a meeting it just handles everything mm, gotcha, gotcha. And, and so i get so much feedback where people just go oh we just had time limits in a queue we didn't even have topic process or flight recording it was like a transformation you know but if you put those three now here's the thing one if there's one thing that's universal everybody seems to hate meetings okay meetings is something that they can't stand so if you go to a team and, and if you're not in charge or your boss say hey how'd you like to hear a idea on a process that mm -hmm. makes our meetings shorter and more productive who's gonna say nah, we don't want that what do we do for a waste of time and misery in this company if we have that yeah. it's, everybody's like oh yeah of course, of course and they go okay let's try it twice as an experiment and see what what it is and mm. then you you brief people on that and um people grab it like a life preserver <laughs> <laughs> very fascinating look this is one one of my favorites to be honest because it deals with the difficult stuff in meetings people don't address now have you found any recurring problems in teams you've maybe trained? Anything that you find as recurrent, a trend as far as difficult, uh, difficulties in meetings or communication breakdowns? What is the most recurrent hmm. theme, if any? 
Well, you know, the, uh, the more current themes or if you don't have a pro meeting process in place, then you're going to get classic things like some people talk too much, others don't talk at all. Find out what they think after the meeting when it's too late or, yeah. you know, or there's big holes in, in missing in the solution because you didn't hear from somebody who had really knew what that hole was, but they were too shy in the approval to speak up and say anything. And so oh, yeah. uh, I, I don't think... Uh, not if we do the process i haven't noticed any holes but the, the, the process really plugs up all those holes you know i urge people to think of it as a uh, when i say flight recording all right I, I find that to think of this like an airline um analogy is right on right the plane can um start late it leaves yeah. the late the meeting can start late uh it can stray off course okay it can get hijacked some people bring too much baggage into in, into the meeting i love that uh, it, it goes on and on the analogy never stops working on that and it's a bunch of people in a contained space they don't really want to be there but now they're trapped in there if they arrive late to their destination then they miss other meetings that they're yeah. supposed to be at and other things right it just keeps going so uh we we i say that uh, that the flight your flight plan is your agenda that's where it really starts you need to know what your flight plan is and where do you want to be you know like they know all right we're going to be over columbus ohio by 10 15 then we're going to be at denver da, da, da. it's all laid out down to the yeah. minute you know planes don't round it off oh we'll leave at 12 no at 1203 we're taking off right we're arriving in our destination yeah. 248 <laughs> it's that specific i think the agenda needs to be that specific too and one thing I think that's very important is that, uh, especially if you have an uh, ongoing meeting, it could be a board meeting or some meeting that you have again and again, you should ever, somebody should be assigned to keep a time log, uh -huh. a spreadsheet, keep a time log of what it was and how long it took, because this will give you great insight into future agendas on certain topics as to how much time you realistically need, not your perception. You can't base it on perception it's got to be realistic so uh it, within the agenda uh you know you have your basic things like the title and is somebody in charge like yin is going to do a presentation for 10 minutes then we're going to have five minutes for question and answer then we're going to hear from bob uh, about the uh ramifications uh on a people level whatever it's all laid out in the agenda but the, uh, the two things that i think are not usually there that i would insist on having is uh, uh, focus and process. What's what's the point here? Why are we spending our valuable time on this? In two sentences, it should tell us why this is important. And then focus is, and all right, so what do you want from me? So like here, let's say, let's say the we're, we're shuffling things in the office. Some people have moved over here, you're moving over there. All right, so the, let's say this agenda topic is, is the office move? And, uh, the purpose is to minimize the impact on your team's workflow, right? That's the purpose. The office move, but to minimize the impact on your team's workflow. Okay, that's topic. Focus, what do you want from me? We want you to come having already uh, assessed the projects you're working on, wow. talking to your team members and uh, consider, is there a certain day of the week and or time of day that is gonna be the least disruptive? to your team like oh no we can't do something on monday and tuesday but usually by thursday we're we get we handle things so that's what you want so right there on the agenda i know what you need from me and that that really dials us mm. dials us in got you got you 
Doc, let's talk about a few more topics. Email, good, bad, or necessary evil? <laughs> uh, all of the above. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Uh, let's go back to, um, uh, it was 1967, a professor named Albert Moravian did an experiment. He made a film with some people communicating. He then took the soundtrack off the film, ran to a synthesizer, made words incomprehensible, but left tone volume and speed intact. He then had a transcript prepared, it's actually said. He gathered a group of people, he shows them the film, there's no... Then he plays the soundtrack, no words or images. And then he hands a transcript, lets people read it, and people think definitely three different interactions. Business meeting, those people are angry. These are obviously good friends. They're shocked, learned up, all the same interaction. He says, so what do you believe is really going on? And based on their responses, he concludes that 55% of the meaning we make is based on how it looks to us, 38% how it sounds to us, tone, volume, speed, and only 7% is the actual words that are spoken. And this is what I like to refer to as the 55, 38, and 7. Now, we all have expressions, seeing is believing, 55%. Action speaks louder than words, 55%. So uh, in terms of email, okay, or any written communication, you don't have 55% how it looks, okay? It's a bunch of words on a page. You don't have 38% how it sounds. All you have is 7% the words on the screen, right? What that allows us to do is hallucinate freely as to how we think the other person sounds when they say it. And our hallucinations are based on our blood sugar curve, our stress level <laughs> and everything we've got going on at in that moment. Now, when you lose channels of communication like that, you are losing a lot of valuable information, uh -huh. but you always get something in return. Okay, in terms of uh, an email, first of all, I would say, you, you have to remind yourself, I am hallucinating freely. I don't know how this person sounds. I am going to project the tone of voice based on my stress level and everything I've got going on at that moment. But what you get in return for the loss of that 55 and 38 is you have time is on your side. It is not a true interactive media. So I urge people, okay, back away from the email. <laughs> <laughs> Take your hands off the keyboard <laughs> and just <laughs> let it sit for a while, all right? And really consider what do I really want to do here and, uh, and remind myself I'm hallucinating freely. And then I have to ask myself, is email really the best way to proceed here? And uh, if the answer is no, then we really want to lead to interaction. I would say anything that's touchy or if you're reacting to it, then email's probably not the best way to proceed because you're not hearing it in the tone maybe where people mean it. And just because you get an email doesn't mean you have to respond right away. It's in your, it's in your hands. So, you know, I would like, have you ever, I'm sure all your listeners and uh, students have reread an email the next day. Have you noticed there's sentences in that email that were definitely not in there the day before? <laughs> and, right and why that is because email l sneak in at night and add to the email now why that is is we're reading something remember we only have seven plus or minus two bits of attention something triggers our attention our conscious attention is really in our thoughts and now we're reading unconsciously and that's how we miss all that stuff so uh i'd say the rule is if if you if you if you think that this person's having an emotional response, or if you're having some kind of emotional response to what you're hallucinating about, bail on email. 
go into interactive, <laughs> get in, get on a Zoom or a phone call or face to face, whatever mode is appropriate, but be get it interactive. Mm. If, on the other hand, you think that email is a good uh, way to proceed, then uh, I would say let it sit for a while, really consider what you want. Uh, then, uh, as you write the email, uh, first of all, all email. The first line in an email really should be a statement of intent. What's the purpose here? What's the purpose? So uh, after the greeting, okay? So example, when we were in doing the third edition of the book, which is the red one you held up, uh, Mary Glenn had been the uh, uh, editor on our second edition. She was really stellar in her email behaviors. If you sent her three questions on Monday, you got three complete answers on Tuesday. She was really a star in that regard. And I guess she was such a star that McGraw promoted her to be the head editor of all the editors. Oh, wow. And then I noticed that her email behavior changed. If you sent her three questions on Monday, a week later, you might get one answered. So obviously she had more on her plate at that point. So when the third edition came out, McGraw-Hill suggested, well, you really should edit it because you've edited the last book, so you're so familiar with it. And that's a good idea, but now she has more on her plate. <laughs> okay, so something came up on a Monday. So I initiate, dear Mary, here's what's going on. Blah, 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 blah. So what do you think? Do, should we do this? And if we do that, what are we going to do about this other thing? All right. Now, what I advise is, so you just put that out there. Now you shift and you look at it from their point of view. Uh -huh. And what I'm seeing on is this much text on a page with two questions at the bottom. And so... I go back to the top and I would say after the greeting, remember there should be a statement of intent. So I add in there, dear Mary, there are two questions at the bottom of this email that need to be answered by you by this Friday. Statement of intent one, second and statement of intent. The next paragraph has the background information you need to answer the questions at the bottom. So now she's totally oriented in that. Mm. All right. So that'd be in your second phase where you're now going to craft it and look at it from their point of view. I would say that um, you always want to start with positives and have consideration second. So another example of this uh, in, in New York state, they were going for a licensing law for naturopathic physicians. Uh, along the way, the bill got stripped down quite a bit, uh, which half the doctors in the state said, nope, this is a crappy bill. It's better we don't have this. The other half of the doctors say, well, had the attitude that, well, you know, you get your foot in the door and then you expand your scope as you go along. So now you had a profession divided, which make the bill failed. And you had these two groups, each one thinking the other one's crazy for thinking what they think. Okay, so the board at that time decided, all right, we're going to have a strategic planning meeting. We're going to get 50 docs in a room in Manhattan in some hotel and really clarify what are the lines, the must-haves, and what, where can we be flexible? Good idea. They didn't ask me to facilitate. Okay, so I go off to India, and I'm a little bit out of touch. And when I get back, I see an email from the president that, oh, they've decided it's not going to be an in-person meeting. It's going to be a virtual meeting. Okay, this is 2012. So virtual is kind of a new, it's not a, right? And we're going to use GoToMeeting. And I, I look at that, I go, eh, not going to work. I'm sorry. This is my reaction. Because look, if, if I think you're crazy for thinking what you think, and you think I'm crazy for thinking what I think, we got to be in the same place where when we express each other, we know the other person's listening and they're actually hearing us in the go-to meeting. That could be out walking the dog. You, you don't know that. And in that, and in that era, I think 20 webcam webcams were the most that go-to meeting could mm. be. You're not going to get 50 people on the thing. So 
I, I respond to the president, dear Donnie, this is not going to work because of one, two, three, four. However, you know, I'm here for you. And if this is how it has to be, I'll figure something out. Okay. Second, look at it from her point of view. Won't work, won't work, won't work. Won't work. <laughs> okay. So I take the bottom, I move it to the top. Dear Donnie, you know, I'm here for you. And if this is how it has to be, Mm. I'll try to figure out something, but I have to warn you about some really significant obstacles to what we're trying to achieve based on the format that is wow. being chosen. Wow. That's re wow. so that that's reordering, reordering yeah. concepts. Mm. And there's another little peeve of mine. Uh, all right. We, we make a, a joke and then we put the wink at the end. <laughs> How does the reader know when you started joking, right? The reader doesn't know. They're already hallucinating flea freely based on their blood sugar curve. I mean, oh these emoticons should be like quote marks. Here, think about it. What do quote marks tell us? Here we are reading happily along, suddenly we see these marks. Oh, that tells us that now at those marks, all the words we're reading are coming out of the person's mouth exactly as is written until we see the marks mm -hmm. again. What if the quote mark was only at the end of the sentence? When did the quote start? You don't know. It's nuts. If you're making a joke, it really should be quote marks at the beginning. If you only use it in one place, it's probably more important at the front than at the end when it's too late and the person already misunderstood. So, uh, I, I and then I say separating it out uh, is good. Oh, the more white space, the better. Mm. Uh, in general, if I look at one of my emails, you know, I always think there's three rounds with the email, right? First is I, my reaction, then I'm going to go through all this stuff. If I see three sentences in a row, I think I've got to really consider do these really belong together? Is the third sentence obscured by the thoughts that the first two will generate? I usually will use a lot of white space. Anytime mm. the thought changes, I skip a line. I found that when people hit the white space, they stop reading unconsciously. Yeah. So uh, more white space, uh, uh, the better. Gotcha. Thank you, Doc, for this. One final question before we go, and you can answer as quick as you can. But it's about project managers. So it's kind of a selfish question because, you know, that's my background. If you were going to give one piece of advice to the very many project managers that you know across the world, I know you've trained the likes of NASA and Boeing and you know those guys. So what advice would you give to project managers in general about communicating? Because you know we're meant to be people, people. So yeah, yeah. Well, I love project managers. I've done so many different groups with PMI because mm. I, I also love projects and all the multiple pieces and, and how you fit it all together and working as a, as a team. I mean, these skills, these people skills and, and these meeting skills are like critical life and death for project uh, managers. So, I mean, it's a great thing you do. And, you know, you're, I think a project manager, you really are very naturally good already to breaking things down in parts and understanding the flow. So the, some of the things I'm talking about is almost like applying project management to, well, to your email. Okay. All right. Mm. I'm going to have a reaction. Then we're going to re read this and sort out the reactions. We're going to move some things around da, 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 to get the result we, we want, you know, and I guess it starts with what's the result I want and is email the best way to proceed or what have you. So I think that uh, project managers just, the stuff I'm talking about naturally already have this in a lot of ways mm -hmm. and the pieces they don't have they're very easy to put in place more than almost anybody because the, the way they think I think is already in that organized fashion lovely lovely doc thanks so much so if people want to know more about you where do they go 
how do they get the books? How do they get the curricula? Because I know you got curricula out there. Can you run over that? Maybe show us your website or anything like that. Uh, yeah, I guess I can show a, a website. Let's see here. If I have a, here, well, let me. Um, let's do that. We could do the share again here. Yeah, it's going to help them because uh, I know a lot of folks, uh, almost everyone in any class I've been to, uh, I've lectured in, in project management and communications, especially, I talk about these books, all, I mean, all the time, because not only have I read, I've also had the pleasure of training the curriculum with your tutelage and mentoring, and it, it's so fascinating, you know, mm. that I, I highly advise uh, project managers to look into your material, so. Well, all right, so Dr. Dr. Rick Brinkman, Dr. Rick Brinkman is the website, and there's all kinds of resources there. The books are certainly uh, available anywhere. You know, Amazon has them. All booksellers, people who can't stand uh, at meetings, are available. Um, well, re all resources are on the website. You know, I do I do virtual trainings as well as in-person trainings. A lot of virtual uh, lately, which I have really enjoy. I, you know, when it came around to April, uh, the last week of April in 2020, uh, my wife and I realized, wow, this is the longest stretch we've been together without a break since 1986. Wow. Yeah. And we liked it. That's the COVID. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that being, I've been mean, being home while well, you travel, you know, I, all, cause so, so when you travel that much, the days of the week are not the normal days of the week. If you get right. home from a trip, it's like Friday or something, you know, <laughs> Thursday or whatever it is, you know? And uh, yeah. I could tell the days of the week. <laughs> and I could be here with my, my furry. Neelix <laughs> and Leela. Yeah. I don't know where Neelix goes. Are they both <laughs> asleep somewhere? Well, yes, this is probably nap time. Oh, dear. Well, 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 we're looking forward to you speaking to us at the Project Leadership Institute, and we're going to be putting out announcements about that. But I really want to say thank you, Doc, for taking time out of your crazy schedule mm -hmm. and uh, meeting with us to tell us a little bit more about yourself and these books and then dealing with relatives, which I'm not showing here, is also available on Amazon as well for yeah, anyone yeah. who wants to grab it. Cool. Yeah, thank we found that. Much. It was very interesting. We found out that people... Uh, gravitated to the book, but they were nervous about having it around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and my former, no my former uh, uh, agent, you know, who <laughs> said she had the book and there, she had one of these coffee tables, it's glass and underneath it is like a shelf. And she had everybody over and all of a sudden she sees that she's got the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, hilarious. Uh, Thank you, Doc. Looking forward to seeing you in our uh, seminar dealing you, with people you can't stand. Appreciate you. Yeah, always fun hanging out with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right. Bye, everyone. Cheers.